question that I asked was, have you ever looked at really successful people? You know, maybe it's someone who's successful in business. Maybe it's people who have a really amazing marriage or they have really great friends or, you know, they're really fit and it seems like they can eat whatever they want to eat and they just never gain weight. And you like look at a Twinkie and you gain five pounds, right? You ever wonder? I, I, I wondered that. And, and honestly, growing up, I always thought that these people are just lucky, you know, like some people just won the genetic lottery, you know, they just came from the right family, they just had a whole bunch or a series of really lucky breaks, you know, they invested at just the right time in GameStop, you know, right before everything went up, they bought Bitcoin whenever, I mean, it was just luck and, 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 and I've realized since, you know, growing up and beginning to study these people is that actually nothing is farther from the truth, right? Like these, these people aren't lucky. It wasn't just, an, you know, the majority of people, I mean, some people did come from the right family, but the majority of the success stories in life, you realize that it really had very little to do with luck. And their stories are all so similar in the sense that what connects them is that they were consistent over time. You know, I, I was recently listening to this leadership podcast and they made this statement that I loved. It said, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Okay, let me say that again. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally, right? It's consistent. It's not accidental. It's not something that they slip into, right? Like, have you ever heard somebody say that they accidentally got out of debt, right? Like, like, whoops, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I woke up and my mortgage was just paid off, right? No one ever hears stories like that. You, you hear stories of, you know, I consistently day after day paid off my debt. I spent less and paid off my debt more. Or, you know, you, you've never heard anybody be like, whoops, I just accidentally have a really great marriage. You know, I could treat my wife however I want to treat her and everything just goes great. I just have this great marriage and I don't know how it was. And we know that's never true. We know that people who have good marriages, they consistently work on their marriages. They consistently sow life and love and attention and intention into their marriage. Or, you know, you, you never hear of somebody accidentally having a close relationship to God, right? It was like, you know, yesterday I was cussing and today I'm just praise the Lord. Like, I don't know what happened. I just feel close to God. It was accidental. And we know that never happens. We know that it's constant, intentional, it's every day sowing life into those relationships and those things. And, you know, and I've realized something is that, you know, because I have a lot of good intentions, and, and I don't know about you out there, but I have a lot of good intentions. Like, man, when New Year's rolls around, like, I am New Year's resolution guy, Right, like I, I pretty much could do like front and back of a whole piece of paper of all the really amazing intentions that I have in order to have a better year than I had last year. But I've realized something. Intentions don't determine direction. Action determines direction, right? And it's, it's like the old saying, right? If you keep doing what you've always been doing, you're gonna keep getting what you've always been getting, right? Wishing that somewhere out there the future is gonna change 
isn't going to change the future. What changes our future is when we put a little bit of action, a little bit of work into our lives, into changing it, that things begin to change, right? Because the truth is, and we know scripture tells us that every single one of us has a right to live our very best life. You can live the life that you want to live. You know, it's, and it's never the result of, you know, a lucky break. It very rarely is the result of a few big decisions. But what gives us the life that we want to live is this countless, consistent, really seemingly small and insignificant daily decisions that we do over time that lead us into the life that we want to live. And this is what we're going to talk about in today's message in this month's series from A to Ziklag is we're going to break down the life of David, right? It's, and, and, and I wanted today to give a really practical message, right? Maybe you'd like for me to get spiritual or funny, or, but I'm going to do my best to break it down really simply because uh, I think that sometimes we can miss the meaning in the story if we don't practically and, and seek to understand what was David actually doing, right? I don't want to so much focus on what David did. Spend a little bit more time focusing on how did David do that thing, right? And so the story of Ziklag, maybe you've or we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a fairly long passage. But just to give you a little bit of background story of what's happening in the life of David. Okay, so David is... Uh, you know, he's been on the run now from Saul for quite some time, and he's finding himself fighting alongside the Philistines. And, you know, some of the Philistine generals, they see that David is there, and they're like, whoa, why are we letting I come here? Remember, he was the guy who killed Goliath and did all those things. He's the guy who's like, you know, Saul killed 1,000, and David kills 10,000. We don't want this guy anywhere near us. So David basically, you know, gets kicked out of the army and gets sent back, and he goes back to Ziklag. Okay, and it's about a three-day journey, Scripture tells us, to get from where he was to Ziklag. And when he gets back to Ziklag, which is where all of, you know, their tents are, all their belongings are, all their wives and children, lives stuff is, he realizes that the, the Amalekites had attacked, plundered, destroyed the entire city. Scripture tells us that they've literally burned everything, that all their all their tents, all their livestock, everything of value has been burned. And what's worse is they've kidnapped their wives and their children. And scripture goes on to say, so you can remember, the these are uh, military hardened men. And what they come back to is so intense that the writer says that everyone wept until they were too exhausted to weep anymore. Okay? Now, you got to think about this, because, you know, how many of you out there have had a really good cry before? You know, like the cry that maybe lasts, you know, like five, ten minutes, or, or, or sometimes you have, like, the really intense cries that last, like, an hour. What I want to know is how long and hard do you have to cry until you can literally cry no more and you are ex physically exhausted from crying, okay? 
So you've got to imagine that, you know, this isn't just they're sad or they've kind of had a bad day. This is like their world has been rocked to the place where, like, they are just, like, crying their guts out. That nothing they can do can stop the intensity of this negative emotion that's on the inside of them. And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. And this is what it says. So further, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Oh, okay, right. So we have to remember that not only are the people upset, not only has all of David's stuff been burned, not only are, are his two wives, have they been kidnapped, but now uh, all the people that are there, the people that were following him in this army, they now want to kill David, okay? So down of all the people that are there, David is having the experience, so it says this, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all of them were embittered, each man for his sons and daughters. But David felt strengthened and encouraged in the Lord his God. I read this and I'm thinking to myself, how on earth is this possible? Right, because I could understand if like everybody else's stuff had got burned down, everybody else's wives and kids had been kidnapped, but mine somehow managed to survive. At that point, I would be like, yes, I am very encouraged because the bad stuff that happened to you didn't happen to me. But that's not the case for David. In fact, David, who probably had the worst out of anyone in the story, David somehow finds an ability when everybody else is weeping and crying. The scripture says that David is strengthened and he is encouraged. You know, often I find that the problem that we is, is that we, we feel that small things in our lives, because they don't make a difference in our life immediately, they don't matter in our life at all. And, and that's what I was saying about how we can miss the meaning in the story of David, because I've realized that this was the first time that David had praised, had strengthened, had encouraged himself in the Lord. We know that David had lived a lifestyle of going through difficult situations and using praise in order to change his attitude, his mentality. And if we're careful in this, we can think that, well, you know, David was David, right? Like, obviously, David could do it. You know, David, David is special. David is lucky. And, and that's really what I want to focus on. The title of my message is that we, it's called We Need to Talk. And it's speaking to us about how David was hopeful everyone else was helpless. So Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would be with us as we dig into your word and as we seek to learn and find ourselves and find the truth about how to begin to step into a new reality, a new phase in our life. Father, I'm asking that you would illuminate our eyes to the truth of the word of God. 
We ask that we would see Jesus this morning because that is all that matters. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning really focusing on not so much David, not so much what David did. How did David do what he did? What did David understand that made him so different, that caused such a different response to a negative situation? And the text that we're going to use today is a super familiar passage of scripture. It's found in Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 7 to verse 9. And this is what it says. Do not be deceived. And, And that word deceived could actually literally be translated as stupid, right? Like, like Paul is like, listen, guys, don't be dumb, okay? God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever he sows to please there is flesh. Not talking about like our physical skin. It's talking about the sin nature or, or, or pursuing the desires of our sinful nature. It says that if we sow to please the flesh... From the flesh, we will reap destruction. It says, whoever sows to please the spirit or whoever sows God-honoring seeds from the spirit will reap eternal life. And verse 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about these laws, right? The, the laws that we know from the very beginning in the garden, we know that scripture tells us that this earth is governed by laws. And the laws that this passage is talking about of sowing and reaping. Now, it's important to understand, and this is sometimes where things can become challenging, is because these are laws, it means that these things are always true, okay? Right, like for example, it's like the law of gravity, okay? Nobody tripped, and I've never asked somebody when they said, oh, I tripped, I don't ask them, well, did you fall up or did you fall down, right? Why? Because nobody trips and falls up because we understand that the law of gravity is in motion on an object, and so because of that, you never fall up, you always fall down. Okay, and, 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 and that is the, the intentionality behind these laws is to let us know that these laws will always work in every situation of our life and every circumstance that we're going through. And it's not just in relation to money, even though oftentimes we use this in relationship to money, is that these laws, the laws of seed time and harvest, used correctly, have the ability to change anything in our life. Okay, now we have the two laws, the laws that say, you know, whatever you sow, you will reap. But under that, I'm going to add three little categories that we're going to talk about from other scriptures. And the first one is you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. Okay, and, and, and I want to actually play a little bit of a game with you here. And, and, and this is not a trick question. This is a question. So at home, you can answer this and Hopefully you get this right, and, and so let me ask you this question. If you plant a corn seed, what do you expect to harvest? 
That's right. It's not a trick question. You expect to reap corn, right? You don't plant a corn seed and hope to reap a pineapple, right? Nobody does that. And, and we know that whatever you reap, you sow in kind, right? If I plant something bad or something negative, I'm going to reap something negative. And, and, and likewise, if I plant a godly seed, if I plant a godly habit, a godly principle, I'm going to reap a godly outcome. Right? And this is what Hosea chapter 10, verse 13 says this. But you have planted wickedness, so you have reaped evil. And I wonder sometimes, why do we expect to reap something good when what we've sowed into that thing is typically bad? Right? Like, for example, you know, like, you're always late for work, and you always have a bad attitude when you're at work. You know, you're constantly getting low uh, evaluations. You're, you know, you're constantly putting in a half-hearted effort. And then you like sit back and wonder why that guy got promoted instead of you. Or, or it's like, you know, you sow seeds of lust and you come addicted to pornography and you're your spouse. And, and then somehow we're like surprised when we're struggling inside of our marriage. Instead of realizing nothing to do with that my marriage is bad it has to do with the fact of the seeds that i've sowed or or it's like you know you eat literally anything that you want all the time and you never exercise it and, and you know you have like a six pack of beer on the weekend you know a six pack on friday because it's you know celebrating friday and then saturday because you got some stuff to do and then a six pack on sunday after church you're like, yes, let us give thanks for all that God has done. And, and you wonder, why am I 30 pounds overweight? Now, here's the truth behind this, is that this is not a punishment. This is not like the world punishing you because of something. No, it's simply just a harvest. It's a result of the seeds that you have sowed. And so when David praised when David was in the bad situation of life and he sought God and prayed God and worshiped God when he could have had a bad attitude to praise it's not that David is you know he's not lucky he's not better he's not more holy than we are David simply in this moment at Ziklag wrapped a harvest of the seed that he sowed and so I guess the, the main point that I want to drive in today as we begin to practically look at David's life and say, how did he do what he did, is this. If, I'll say it if to myself, Alex, if you don't like what you're reaping, you need to change what you're sowing because you reap what you sow. The second thing is that you reap more than you sow, right? We know this principle that what we sow God tells us that he will multiply, right? This is the famous Mark chapter 4 passage of scripture. In Mark chapter 4, verse 15, in the New Living Translation, he says this, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produces a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as been planted. What does that mean? It means, it means that if simply just plant one seed. How many of you know, I plant one seed in the ground. That seed is going to produce a tree. And when that tree grows up and matures, 
it's going to produce fruit. And what's inside of that fruit are seeds that I can plant. And so one seed produces an exponential harvest. And this is the exact same way to look at things in our natural life. You know, you walk into a room and, you know, you just smile. You ever notice that if you just walk into a room and you smile, it's like everybody just smiles back at you. Right? Like very rarely do you smile at someone and they like frown or they scowl or they like point and laugh at you or something. Right? If you walk into a room and smile, people smile. But in the same way, if you walk into a room and, you know, you treat everybody, you know, you got the spiritual gift of jerkiness and you're just rude and, and angry. How many of you know people are often rude back to you? You know, it's like in my marriage to Danielle. If I love her and I honor her and I sacrifice for her and, and I respect her and I bless her, she pours that love back on me in exponential form. But if I give her a hard time and I'm mean, rude to her, I'll tell you something. If you know my wife, she multiplies those seeds back to me a hundredfold return, Right? And so I want to talk about this because it's very important that we understand that we have the power to change our life. That the way that David responded in this situation wasn't the result of luck. It wasn't that he was just better than all of us. And I want to use this example from an illustration I read in a long time ago called The Compound Effect. It's a book. It's a great read. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's awesome. And, and in this book, really, if, you, if I break it down for you, if you're never going to read it, this is the main point of this book, is that small changes plus consistency plus time equals big changes, okay? So I'm going to give you an analogy from this book, and I've changed the analogy up a little bit uh, in order to, you know, not plagiarize the book. But I'm going to give you kind of the same point, is we're going to talk about three guys, okay? Three guys who have the same income, you know, they, they're neighbors, they all live on the same neighborhood you know, they all have the same body type, and, and we're going to call their body type the dad bod, right? Everybody's familiar with the dad bod. You know, I, 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 since becoming a dad, I have inherited a little bit of the dad bod, which essentially just means, you know, you got a little bit of, I think they call it the spare tire. You know, you got the inner tube generally around your waist section. And, and these three guys, we're going to name them Sammy the same. No, not Sandy, Sammy. Billy Better and Wally Worse, okay? Now, I'll tell you, Sammy the same, you know, nice guy, you know, but he just doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? He, you know, he, he's more interested in complaining than he is in changing anything, and he's determined that the way that I do my life right now works for me, so I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to do anything different. Then we have Billy Better. Billy Better has determined in himself, you know, he was here for church today. He listened to my message and he's like, you know what, I'm going to do what Alex told me to do. And he begins to make small, seemingly insignificant changes. You know, before he drinks his cup of coffee in the morning, he simply just reads and thinks about the verse of the day, right? He decides that before else, he's just going to pray and give thanks to God. He he decides that nothing crazy, he's just going to cut 125 calories from his diet every single day. Just 125. 
He's just going to, you know, instead of having two pops at dinner, he's just going to drink one. He's just going to, you know, instead of having a Twinkie, he's going to have a couple of all And he decides that he's going to, you know, not do anything crazy. He's not really the CrossFit kind of guy. He's just going to walk around the block three times a week, you know, and no big changes. In fact, they're so Billy finds himself tempted to quit because he's not really seeing any of the results that he thought he was going to see. Then in contrast, we have Wally the Worse. Wally the Worse has gone through a couple of situations. He, he went through this pandemic with us and he started to inherit some small bad habits. You know, he decides that he's not going to come to church anymore. You know, he... Instead of eating the almonds, he eats two Twinkies. And he's, you know, no big deal. He's just eating 125 more calories a day than he was yesterday. You know, he's super discouraged. And so, you know, he escapes by playing video games till 3 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, not doing good. Super high scores, but not doing good in life. And, you know, six months goes by. And there's really no noticeable difference. 18 months go by, you know, nothing crazy. But you're starting to notice a difference. But by month 27, two years and three months later, the change for two of these men is startling. Okay? Same and the same. Obviously, no real changes. He's not better. He's also not worse. He, he doesn't even notice that the two years and three months went by because every day essentially feels the same. And, and unfortunately, this is where most people are. Most people will go 27 months, not really see any change. They'll have the same issues two years from now as they had two years before. And that's where most people find themselves. But let's talk about Billy better for a minute. Over the course of 27 months... Billy Better consumed 106,500 fewer calories. And the result of that is that he has lost 33.5 pounds. Now Billy is, you know, has shed the dad bod. He is slim. He is confident, right? We all know the Billies. The guy who, when Billy walks into the room, all the other moms giggle because of how good Billy looks now. Billy has got some serious swag, okay? Now, Wally the worse. Again, nothing crazy. Just made a couple of small bad decisions in his life. Over 27 months, Wally worse has consumed 117,500 more calories and added to his dad bod 33.5 pounds. Because he added this weight, now he's more depressed, he's hopeless. And if you're not good at the math, these small, seemingly insignificant changes led to a difference of 235,000 calories and 67 pounds, right? Now, now, these changes aren't just limited to weight. In fact, I checked in with the three of them recently uh, you know, post-pandemic to see how they're doing. And, and, and it's not surprising that we find out that Billy Better, you know, he's still losing weight. And, you know, he's gained confidence. His 
relationship with God now is amazing. He, he heard from the Holy Spirit and made a couple of really great decisions. And so now he's in a better financial situation that he paid off his mortgage, right? He grew as a leader. He was promoted in his job and his marriage, woo! Let me tell you, there is a lot of kissing happening in Billy's marriage. But Wally worse, what? He gained weight, lost confidence. He drifted from God. His gaming addiction turned into a gambling addiction. His finances are now a wreck and his marriage is hanging on by a thread. And I've realized something. It's not the big decisions in our life that often change the outcome of situations. It's not what we do occasionally. It's what we do consistently. So if we don't like what we're reaping, we have to change what we're sowing. So you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow. And the third principle is that you reap after you sow, right? You, you, you sow in a season and you reap in a different season. You sow in the fall, in the spring. And this is often why people can get so discouraged is because we just simply don't see the progress we think we're supposed to make, we don't see it happen fast enough, right? Like I practice Thanksgiving five days in a row and I still have the same problem, right? Like I have gone to the gym for two weeks and I still have the COVID-15, right? Like I didn't buy coffee all month and because I'm determined that I'm gonna pay off my debt and because I didn't pay, buy coffee all month, I saved a hundred dollars and now my student debt isn't $37,500, it's $37,400, and it feels like nothing matters. And because of this, we can wrongly conclude that small decisions don't really matter that much. And we can forget that the sum of our entire life added up by the small decisions that we make every single day. Because I'm going to tell you, in every action, in every decision that you make, we are choosing a direction, right? This is why we cannot judge the success of the day by the harvest that we reap. We must judge the success of the day by the seeds that we sow, right? Because true success isn't it isn't the goal in the future somewhere. It isn't that one day we're going to be this thing that we so desperately want to be success. Success is, did I do everything that I could in order to be faithful today? This is why it says, be not deceived. God is not mock. What you sow, you reap. And you reap more than you sow. And you also reap after you sow what Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 tells us. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I realized this in the life of David, that this is exactly what David did. He practiced praise every day in the big situations and in the small situations, right? Like when he's out in the field and he's totally forgotten by his family, he has the opportunity to complain or to murmur or to feel discouraged or depressed. What does he choose to do? Scripture says he chooses to praise. 
What do we know about David when he's belittled by his brothers? He chooses to praise. When he's threatened by Saul, he chooses to praise. When he's betrayed by his men, he chooses to praise. And then in this moment, when he needs the encouragement the most, the encouragement is there because of the seed he had sown over time. And can I tell you something? This is exactly the same for you. Right? That in the springtime, in the moments when we need it the most, your hard work, your disciplines, your, your, your sacrifices, your faithfulness, right? These things are not being wasted, but they are being stored for a moment when you the most. And then one day it's like you just wake up and all of a sudden your marriage is better. You, you wake up and you realize you're debt free. You wake up and you realize you have more influence than you know what to do with that. When everybody is discouraged, you are still determined. When, when everybody is failing, you are being fruitful. When everybody feels hope, you are hopeful. And then, you know, people often are going to look at you and they're going to be like, Oh, look at this guy. You know, he's just lucky. Right? Look at him. He's just because he's from this family or this situation. But you realize something. It wasn't that I was lucky. It's that I was faithful. It's that I was consistent. Because we, but in secret, we reap in crisis. And this is the truth, is that David wasn't lucky. It wasn't that David was even special. It was that David had lived a lifestyle of sowing praise. And when he needed it the most, there was a harvest of encouragement that was ready. Can I tell you something? They didn't see it. They didn't see David praising. They didn't see David out in the field when he's worshiping because he just discouraged or depressed. He's forgotten and alone out there in the field. And instead of choosing all the things that he could have chose, he chose to run after God. And can I tell you something? They won't see you either. They won't see you overcoming your self-doubt. They, they won't see you feeling and starting again. They won't see you, those moments of praying and fasting and those moments of seeking God and those moments of depending on God. They're, they're not going to see the early you wake up and they're also not going to see the nights that you sleep up there. They're not going to see you during Christmas yet engaging with everyone with a heart and an attitude of love. They're not going to see they're not going to see your persistence. They're not going to see the pain that you have to go through. They're not going to see these small, consistent disciplines. They won't see the deeds that you sow. But the truth is, is that this, it's the things that no one sees that produces the results that everyone wants. Can I tell you, I came to tell someone this morning, do not give up. Do not grow weary because in this season you will reap if you don't faint. Don't faint. Don't quit praising. Don't quit giving. Don't quit serving. Don't quit loving. Don't quit forgiving. Don't quit giving the best. Don't quit fighting to stay pure. Don't worry if you fall back to that old addiction or that old pattern. Tomorrow, God's mercies are new. Don't quit seeking God. Don't quit getting up early time in his presence. Don't stop staying a little bit later. Don't keep going up, pushing back. Don't keep doing those extra reps. Don't stop going that extra mile. Stop saying yes to what's right and no to what's wrong, even when it's comfortable. 
Can I tell you something? It is not easy. And it's not going to happen overnight. But when everybody else is given up, like everybody else is failing and failing, you harvest if you do not give up. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person in this stream. Everyone in homes and everyone in conference. But we ask for this mentality, this I will not quit attitude. Lord, we want to quit. We want to fail and we want to fall. Lord, I'm asking right now for your grace, your endurance, your perseverance. Lord, for the small, seemingly insignificant decisions that we make. Lord, like you've challenged me to, I challenge each and every one of you. What's that one thing in your life that you can change? What's that one small decision that you can start to make every single day? I'm just going to get up a half an hour earlier. I'm just going to, you know, not eat dessert after dinner. Whatever is in your life for the outcome that you're seeking. What's the thing you can do every day? And Lord, I'm asking for your grace. Your grace that's on us to make the changes that we so desperately want to make in our life. And we thank you for that. I want to pray really quickly for anyone who finds themselves, you know, in the room, in a home, in a car, on the stream. And you'd say, you know, I don't know Jesus. Maybe someone sent you this link and you're like, yeah, I, I knew God a long time ago, but had a whole bunch of wrong, bad experiences. And you listen to this message today and you'd say, this, this Jesus, this life, this is so desperately need. I need that strength. I need that encouragement. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that we'll be saved. We'll enter into a relationship with him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer really quickly. I'm going to ask you to just repeat after me in the room, wherever you are. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, the savior of the world. And you came to die for my sin, to take my place. I receive you as my savior and as my Lord. Lead me, direct me, give me your grace to make the changes I wanna make. In Jesus' name, amen.